0: We were talking about peace today, and that second song it reminded me. It said, "Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel." And this word, "Emmanuel," means God is with us. When we talk about what, when God is with us, God is with us in several different ways. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, but part of that dwelling in us is the gifts that He is giving us, which is why we're in this series right now, talking about these gifts that you cannot find anywhere else in this world. Uh, they, they pretend certain ways, and we'll get to that, but the truth is hope, peace, joy, and the gift of Jesus Christ himself. You're not going to ever find that in the way that God brings it to you as a free gift right now. So that's why we're doing this series. If you have your Bibles, we'll be at John 14:27, 27, and uh, you can open it on your phone or just read it along with me here, where it says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give isn't like the peace the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. What I find fascinating about this particular verse is he's, he's saying it, he's doing it, while giving communion. You have all these uh, communion stations around the room today. I have one up here. Uh, The the most fascinating to me is that he's sitting here. He's got the disciples around this table. He's talking about this gift that he's giving, knowing that he's about to be betrayed. He even tells them ahead of time. He says, you're going to betray me. I'm going to be murdered. And even knowing all of that, here's a gift. And I'm giving you this gift as a remembrance of me. Take this in remembrance of of me, And then he goes beyond it and talks about this peace. This peace isn't going to be like the world gives you. And even though I'm going to be betrayed, here's a gift of peace like you'll never, ever, ever experience anywhere else. How fascinating is that? Imagine you're with your boss or your mentor or someone you love. If you're younger, your mom or your dad. And you're, they're, they're saying to you, hey, um, you're going to betray me. Uh, you're going to murder me later. But... I want you to know how much I love you, and I'm going to be sending you a helper who's going to be dwelling within you to make sure that the rest of your life you experience the best of me. And I'm even going to give you peace. You would have so many questions. The murder thing would have really threw you for a loop, but you have so many questions of angst and fear, and peace would not be your number one thing. But that's what he's focused on. That's what he's talking about. He's literally saying, I come to give you peace. God gives us peace. As I grew up, uh, peace was not what I experienced. There were so many areas of my life where I was trying to figure myself out. I remember being in junior high. I was on the football team, but I wasn't any good. I was like a second string, and I was also in the band. And junior hires are really nice, so they never said anything about that. (laughs) So peace wasn't my number one thing going into high school. I was always a bit... um, I just, I think awkward. And so as I faced high school, I said, this is going to be different. High school is going to be different because I'm going to get a junior or senior girlfriend, and then everyone will see how awesome I am. See, my parents are really good at setting goals for me. So when I went into high school, those were my goals. Uh, sorry, parents, if you're listening in some weird way. I, I went to freshman year, and I did it. I accomplished My biggest goal. I had this beautiful blonde um, girlfriend who was a junior, and I was so excited until like the second week, and I realized, oh, wait, I don't want a girlfriend. This is awful. I have to buy them things, I have to go to these dances that the school puts on and makes me pay for it. Some weird, stupid thing about, I want to be with my friends, and she makes me go hang out with her at lunch. This is terrible. So I immediately wanna break up. I get near to the end of the year and after like literally a month, I am done. There's no peace in this, I don't want this. And then she says she has a brain tumor and therefore you can't break up with me, you have to be there to support me through this. Now freshmen, I don't know if you know this, aren't the smartest kids in the world because there's so many flaws in this story. Uh, I should have seen them way ahead of time, but I did not. I'm like, oh, oh no, I I have to take care of this person. Well, well when is your surgery? I'll break up with you after that. <laughs> so she prolongs all the way through the summer. And what's ironic is all of this is real. This is all real. She prolongs it, and I finally give her an ultimatum, and I say, okay, listen, you're going to have to have the surgery soon. I can't keep having a girlfriend. This is terrible. So she sets a date but says, I don't want you to visit me. You can visit me afterwards at my home. But being the loving boyfriend that I was, I decided I'm going to surprise her in the hospital. I go to the hospital. I have my flowers. I walk up to the lady. I go, I'm here to visit so-and-so. I won't say her name in case she's listening. She's clicking the little buttons. She can't find her. I think she really felt bad for me because she checked other hospitals, checks all the local hospitals. Nothing. I'm like, well, that's weird. So then I go to the house, knock on the door. The parents answer. And I'm like, I, I'm here with flowers. Did, did your daughter have a brain surgery today? And the parents look at me. And they're like, oh, not this again. No, she's out with her friends. And she, they shut the door in my face. Talk about terrible parents, right? They were awful. We broke up. And I say this story because peace was not what I experienced in high school. Uh, It's all her fault, but I won't blame her. I was very, very mean. I think um, I treated women after that not very good. I can't understand why, but I wasn't the nicest of, of kids in high school, I was bouncing around different sports, different clubs, just trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with my life? I was very confused. I get to college, I change my major seven times before I figured out that I just need to get out of college. I had enough of the points, what are those things called? Credits, thank you, that I could finally just get a degree and get out. That's, this is my experience of having no peace. Now, I have served at church, but I talked about this a few weeks ago. It was an incredible experience, but I just served. I didn't really think much of it. I was just there doing whatever the pastor asked me to do, and that worked out really well. So I suggest that for all of you. It was awesome because that eventually led me to knowing what true peace was, this authentic peace that God actually gives. And this brings us to point one, this, final, this, this, this position where I finally said, oh, if I have you, all this other stuff will work out. I had to stop pretending that there's something I'm going to find, that there's, some, there's going to be something I get to where I finally realize what real peace is in this world. I had to let that go and point one of your notes, stop pretending there was a way I could figure this out. I actually need God to give me the peace that he brings that surpasses all understanding, that surpasses knowledge of, of trying to figure out the way the world continues to show me, this is how you'll get peace. This is how you'll get peace. This is how you get peace. And continually being disappointed because I never could find peace that way. I stopped pretending and saying, God, with you, I can find peace. Romans 5 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God, because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Look at those that scripture for a moment. There's a couple of things that it really points out. This concept of Christianity, it took me a long time to figure this out. We we talk about Christianity before we truly understand it by saying that we are good. We're good. Uh, in fact, if you go around and you ask people, you know, why are you a Christian? Why do you, why do you uh, follow this Jesus? Well, most people will say something to the effect, I'm a good person. They won't say exactly like that, but they'll talk about the fact that they don't do certain things and that they do certain things that make them a Christian. But there's so many flaws in that theory. First of all, we're not that good of people. Let's just be honest that a lot of times we're committing sins, even though they may be small. It's not murder, but if murder is like the definition of not being a bad person, all the rest is a slippery slope of False. So to say that we figured it out, I'm a good person, and yet we still every day sort of maneuver this line of what's good and bad, and then the Bible goes further and says your thoughts betray you, even if you're thinking about someone in anger you're murdering them. Even if you're lusting after someone, you're committing adultery, you're like, oh no, I'm really in trouble as you start to read the Bible more and more. So to define Christianity as being a good person is a flaw. It's it's the very first flaw when it comes to this idea of pretending that we're good enough to make this all make sense. The second problem with this good person theory is Do we really think we're better than the man next to us? Let me put it this way. Think of the person that you hate. I mean, you shouldn't, right? You just committed a sin. But if you think of that person (laughs) that you really dislike a lot, and I encourage you, go to them and say, are you a Christian? And hopefully they say yes to that first. Try not to say in a sarcastic way, (laughs) but say, are you a Christian? And then ask them why. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to say something to the effect of being a good person. And then you have to step back and go, wait a second, I'm in the same boat as this person I really don't like. In fact, I would say that most world leaders who have been awful would say they're good, a good person because they're doing something for their people. I would say that terrorists say they're a good person. Why? They're following their law as they know it. They would say, I'm a good person. I'm following along. You know, we have all this data that tells us that basically this idea of being a good person does not work. And then we betray ourselves because we say, I'm good enough, but I'm not good enough to do these things for God. I'm good enough, but I can't serve in this way. I'm good enough, but I can't share my faith because if they see all my bad stuff, then that's going to not be good enough. for. Wait, it's just ironic statement after ironic statement that does not work. It all tears itself down. And at some point, we got to say, okay, i, I got to make this work with this statement. Or we could just say, I'm going to stop pretending that I can figure this out, and I'm going to have peace that God made me the way I am. I'm going to have peace that God created me just the way I am, and I'm going to be okay with it. I'm be okay that I haven't quite figured out my college what I'm going to be when I grow up. I'm going to be okay that I'm I'm struggling with relationship. I'm going to be okay with I haven't quite figured out what job's right for me. And I'm just going to say, God, I have peace because you created me. And you know what? That's good enough. This simple plan for peace starts with just stop pretending and allow God to say you are who, who he made you to be. This second part of this peace plan is I will not be defined by my circumstances. Now this one gets into the idea of you're all going to be facing issues. Are the issues going to define your happiness level, your peace level? Are they going to define who you are? One of my heroes of my life is actually my wife. She's incredible for many ways. Um, But one of them is being a pastor's wife uh, it sure, it sounds glamorous. All the money and the luxury that comes along with it. It's pretty amazing. It's everyone calling and saying how much they love church every week. It's a great life. You get to be with someone who knows everything about God and talks to him daily. It's, she's really lucky. And she gets to be at everything. So that's pretty awesome, Right has to show up at everything. And if she has any talent whatsoever, you have to use those. Or even if you don't have talent, you're still in charge of things. And you have to do it all for free. Now imagine you guys that have jobs, a few of you, right? Imagine if your spouse had to come to everything you did and had to be involved and lead things that they were never trained in and then got like reviewed on those things. Just imagine that life. So you think how lucky she is to be with me. And I've dragged her from, for 25 years into ministry because we were called to ministry. But here's my point. And even the last one, as you guys all know, it, we were in the valley, and um, it was incredibly hard on her health still, dragging her through that and then coming back. Here's my point. She's never complained about any of that. In fact, it's been incredible to see her just continue to follow God and maybe she complained about the breathing thing in the valley once or twice. But other than that, other than that, all that other stuff, she'd probably be angry for me to even say it because that's not the way we really feel. It's awesome. And I get to watch her, and I see her every morning go downstairs, and she's got her Bible, she has her coffee, and she's having these, these moments with God. And I'm so impressed because she does not let circumstances define her relationship with God. And as I was thinking of a way to illustrate that to you, I'm like, my wife is my best illustration because I I know what she's been through. I know all the difficulties of being a pastor's wife, as much as I can know that. And yet I see her continue just to show this joy and this peace that God is in control. When we talk about defining our circumstances, it's, yeah, I don't know your challenges. You don't know my challenges, but we know that God is still God That God has still given us peace. He still loves us and cares for us. That no matter whatever we face, we will have peace. That he is in control. The verse says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That that word there, guard, when you look that word up in the Greek and where it's used other places in the Bible— it's a military term. It's used, every time it's used, it's used in a military way. They were guarding the fortress. They were guarding this. They are guarding that. So he's using it here very specifically. This is Apostle Paul talking here. Guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What is his point? He's talking about peace. So whatever is out here attacking, and it is an attack, guard your heart and your mind because that's from Christ Jesus and no one can take that from you. No one can take the peace from you. Yes, you're facing a challenge that not many people are facing. You have something that you're like going through right now. Guard your heart and mind because that peace, that's already there. You've already been given it. No one can take you take that from you. This year may have been tough. You might be going through a divorce. It is not the end of you. You might have conquered an addiction or you're working through it. It's not the end of you. That broken family that you may be facing, that is not the end of you. The unemployment, it's not the end of you. If you're a teenager here, that horrible thing that has devastated your life forever and ever and ever, it's not the end of you. This gift that we've been given a peace surpasses whatever you're facing in the moment. And here's the issue. When you walk out, you're going to be bombarded with what the world describes as peace. So you will be immediately hit with the concepts of, if I can get enough money, um, I will finally feel this burden that I have on me go away. Anybody ever get there? Do you ever have enough money where the burden goes away? there's these stories all the time about people who win the lottery, and you watch the story play out, and it's always bad. <laughs> Every time they're given millions of dollars, and it's, it ends up being a horrible, people are dying in the midst of these stories. It's awful. And I'm like, huh, how, how many movie stars or whatever sports figures are we going to watch tumble down after they've been given the world and not realize that that lie, that you'll finally have enough to not worry anymore or not have any sort of issues anymore. That lie, when will we finally say that one's not true and the one the Bible says is true? That no matter what the circumstances, I can still have peace. The other lie we have is travel and ambition and getting to a certain level. If I get that job, if I get to that place in the company, if I can just travel, if I can get to retirement, if I get to that vacation, I just need that vacation, I have one more week left, and then I get to that vacation and I'll feel peace then. My guess is you may not, because it's a lie. Yeah, you'll have moments of joy, but peace comes from within. You can have it now, no matter what your circumstance may be. This verse continues to tell us that no matter what we face, listen to the next part of it. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Will you get to that point where you have this peace? No matter what you're facing, it's an authentic peace that gives you that you're okay now. This world does not define me. If you can get there, then you can get to the next level, which is this, this third step of peace forgiveness. This goes back to the video at the very, very beginning with the great theologian Donkey when he said, yeah, I can forgive because friends forgive each other. See, the path that we have gone on is this is going to mean nothing to you if you don't first get right with God. You stop pretending and allow God to give you the peace you need. The second area is personal. Then you have to go to yourself and say, will I be defined by my circumstances or will I be okay just the way I am and what I'm facing and I'll have peace right now no matter what I'm facing. Once you can get past those two, God and personal, then you have to move to this third level if you really want peace and that's forgiveness. Can you get to a point where you say, I'm going to forgive no matter what? Because we live in a world with broken and dysfunctional people we're running into each other. I'm broken and dysfunctional and there's times when I run into other people. You're broken and dysfunctional and there are times when you run into each other. Teenagers or anyone young, uh, your parents did not have you thinking, I wonder how I can ruin this person's life. If I could just do all of this, they'll have a terrible upbringing. That's not how they had you. That wasn't their first thought. But we're broken, dysfunctional, and we run into each other. Your boss doesn't wake up every morning going, I wonder if I could ruin their day today. I I know exactly what I'll do. That will be so awful for them. That's not how they wake up. At least most of them. Yours might be different. But most do not wake up that way. But they're broken, dysfunctional, and we run into each other. Your spouse, when you guys got married, Their concept wasn't, okay, we're going to get married, and then I'm going to make him miserable forever. I said him. It could go both ways, him or her. I'm going to make them miserable forever, and that's not what they were thinking when they were saying their vows to you. But what are we? Broken and dysfunctional, and we run into each other. We need to get past that, this idea that we're all trying to do this on purpose. No, we're just broken. If we weren't broken, we wouldn't need a Savior, So if we can get past step one and say, I got to stop pretending. I actually do need a savior in my life. Once we get past that, we can say, oh, because I'm broken, I have these, and they're broken, and they're clashing. That's life. So can we move from that point of saying, all right, we're all broken. We're all dysfunctional. We wouldn't need a savior if we weren't. And start giving out forgiveness. Nelson Mandela says, holding a grudge, It's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Isn't that true? Think through that. Because when you actually offer forgiveness, they may not accept it and they may not give it back. Forgiveness is a one-way street. It always is. It's one way. You don't give out forgiveness just hoping they're going to give it back. I mean, we do. That's not what we're supposed to do, though. You give it because you're tired of drinking the poison. And there's there's no gain you're getting by holding this grudge. So you let it go through forgiveness, knowing that it may not come back, but I'm going to stop drinking the poison. The Bible says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Hear that. As much as it depends on you, if you can do it, Because it's gonna be you letting it go. Leave peaceable or live peaceable with all. Which brings us back to this. You see, we have an example of Jesus giving us peace in the face of death. We have this incredible example through communion that says, Yeah, and remember, this is before. I know you're gonna betray me, I know you're gonna murder me, but I still give you this gift. And it's forgiveness. It's the Holy Spirit to give you a new experience in this world. It's peace. He does all that before. Take that in. How is that possible? How can he be at that table? These guys are going to betray him. And he's offering forgiveness, peace, love. It's incredible. Hebrews 2.14 says, Because God's children are human beings, Made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in the way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Can you unwrap that gift? A lot of people, they they live their Christianity the way I live with a parachute, I'll explain. So think of a parachute, a military-grade parachute. So I have no doubt that I could get on a plane, put that parachute on, jump out, and it will open. Uh, I've seen it on TV lots of times. So I know it works, right? I've even gone skydiving. Of course, when I went skydiving, there was a guy on my back with like three parachutes and some emergency thing that goes off if he gets too low. The truth is, I'll never actually know if that works because I'm not going to get on a plane and put a parachute on and then just leap out and go, well, I hope this works. That's not going to happen because I'm not an idiot. But here's the issue. That's kind of how we, we live our faith out, right? I totally believe in Jesus, Of course I believe in Jesus. I believe in heaven and hell. I believe in all this. In fact, pastor, I agree with everything that you have said today. But I'm still not going to go out there and forgive that person. Are you kidding? You know what they did? I'm not going to pull that ripcord. And that's how we usually live our faith. Can we pull a ripcord when we walk out of here and say, okay, okay. If this is the peace plan that the Bible talks about, I'll forgive, knowing that I'm probably not going to get anything in return. Can I do that? Can we pull the ripcord to have peace with others? Or if you you have that first one of of, will I finally get to the point where I trust God and pull the ripcord that he will give me peace no matter what circumstance I'm facing? Or will I pull the ripcord and say, I got to stop pretending and just know that God loves me just the way I am, that I was created by him, and I'm fine. I'm fine the way that I am created by God. I'm going to stop pretending there's something I have to do for that and let God let me be who I am. Can you pull that ripcord and actually walk out and say, yeah, the pastor, you're amazing. I believe everything you say, but will I actually do it? Will I jump out of the plane and pull that ripcord? As we're praying, everybody eyes closed and head bowed. The Bible talks about making a public confession of your faith. Um, I'm not going to pull you up front or do anything weird, but if you're here today and you actually need to do that first one, of saying, i got to stop pretending and actually pull the ripcord that says, God, you are real, and I need a Savior. And if that's you today, I just want you to lift your hand up and look up at me, and that will be that public confession of faith. And you're saying, I'm going to pull the ripcord and say, I'm done pretending. God, I need you. Just quickly lift it up. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. God, we come before you, and I thank you for each and every hand. It's a big step to go from saying we believe to actually living it out. I feel, Lord, that's what you're doing here today. You're allowing some people to say, I'm gonna live it out. I believe, but I'm gonna live it out. So, God, we give you that moment. Everyone, look up at me for a second. We're gonna end this service today the same way we started it, talking about communion. So, it's such an incredible opportunity to say, okay, I, I believe this gift. But now I realize that gift came before, before they betrayed him, before they murdered him. And in our own lives, he did all of that before we were born, knowing ahead of time all that was going to happen. And he still gave out forgiveness and peace before. I wanted to take an opportunity, and since we were talking about it, to actually do this act. And the act, as it's spoken of in the Bible, is a way of saying we remember. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Those verses, Luke 22:19 19 and 22:20. 20, I take this bread as a remembrance of the body that was broken for us. I take this juice as a way of remembering the blood that was poured out for us. And then that remembering, it's the cross, it's eternal life, but it's also peace, The forgiveness, no matter where we are, he already paid that price. So when you go today, what I want you to do is go over to one of these stations, take a piece of bread, dip it. If you're here with your family, go with them and just pray together and take it together. If you're here alone, find a place and take it alone and just pray this prayer with God of, I accept this gift that you give us. And if you're here and you don't know, Uh, Christ is your personal savior. Uh, You don't need to do this. And if you're here and you have some other stuff going on, like forgiveness, that you probably need to take care of that before you do communion. The elders, if you will, go now. I'm going to have them at each of the tables, two here and one back there. The elders are there so that you can take a moment and pray. Go to them and say, all right, this is, what I'm, this is what I'm dealing with. I need to lift this up to God before I take communion. Take a moment, pray with them, ask for forgiveness, or maybe it's being okay with what you're facing right now. That it's okay, I still have peace. Whatever it is, pray it out, and then if you want, take communion. So as this song is going at your own pace, uh, do those acts. And I'll lift this up in prayer. God, we do give you this moment and ask that you have your blessing on it. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of remembrance. And each time we do this, remembering the cross, the ultimate gift that was given for us in Jesus' name.